Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Let's get ready. Okay, Genesis. That's a surprise. (laughs) Genesis 35, verse 21. All right. So, okay, I'm situated. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. Thank you, Lord, for the truth. The Lord gave the word. Thank you, Lord, for not only giving us the word, but giving us your Holy Spirit to teach us as we open our hearts to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Genesis 35, 21. And Israel journeyed and spread his tent beyond the tower of Adar. And it came to pass, when Israel dwelt in that land, that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve, the sons of Leah, Reuben's, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon and Levi, and Judah and Issachar and Zebulun, the sons of Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin, and the sons of Bilhah, Rachel's handmaid, Dan and Naphtali, and the sons of Zilpah, Leah's handmaid, Gad and Asher. These are the sons of Jacob, which were born to him in Padanaram. And Jacob came unto Isaac, his father, unto Mamre, unto the city of Arba, which is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac sojourned. And the days of Isaac were a hundred and fourscore years, and Isaac gave up the ghost and died, and we gathered unto his people, being old and full of days. Now, In our last study, we traveled. We went with Jacob. This was exciting. We went with Jacob in the verse 20. He rose up from his grief at the graveside of Rachel where he built that altar there. And we saw how it was the Israel inside of Jacob that rose up from that grief and said, all right, life's gonna go on now. And it brought him to move his life on further into the land that God had promised him. And we thought at that point that finally all of Jacob's troubles were gone. They were over. And when Jacob was probably visiting his aged father, Isaac, there in Hebron, he left his house, probably, most likely, he left his house with his firstborn to be in charge. And then comes this tragedy, this tragic words in verse 22. It came to pass when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine, and Israel heard it. Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. So tragedy, absolute tragedy, just crashes down on his home when he was away. An unbelievable tragedy. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, he should go and rape his father's wife? He should go rape his stepfather? I mean, this one word that we get there in verse 21, he went. He went. We could feel the fire 
that's inside of Reuben, a fire of lust, a fire that allows Reuben to just break through all the walls of, of God-given restraints. And we read, yeah, Reuben went, and we can see a man in this Reuben who's stubborn, headstrong, and has no understanding. He, he has no understanding that his lust must not be satisfied but denied. He has no understanding that his temptation, it mustn't be it mustn't be toyed with and entertained. It's got to be turned away from. He's got no understanding that his sinful desires, they shouldn't be fed. They have to be starved. He's got no understanding that his passions shouldn't be encouraged. They've got to be squelched. He's got no understanding. He doesn't understand that his sinful pleasures have no future, but only for a season they've got a, an enjoyment. But, but then comes the horrible consequences. He doesn't understand any of this. Which, which in his case caused him to lose his inheritance as the firstborn. And all of this lack of understanding is just encompassed in those two words there. And in verse 22, Reuben went. Reuben had no understanding where his temptation, his lust, his sinful desires, his passions, his pleasures, his sinful pleasures, it's going to lead him. And he's a perfect example of what it says in James 1.14. In James 1.14 it says, Every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And then when lust hath conceived, it bringeth forth death. That bring forth sin. And sin, when it is finished, it bringeth forth death. Do not err. Don't go astray, my beloved brethren. So Reuben was tempted from within himself. As we saw him entertain seedful, the sinful seeds of lust when he brought to his mother those aphrodisiac erotic mandrakes to be used so she could use them to erotically arouse his father. And Reuben, he never dug up, he never dug up and killed those seeds of, of the sinful interest in the sexual realm. And so those seeds then of unstopped sinful interest in, in the sexual realm, it started to grow from just seeds of just a, of an interest, a sinful interest. And then they grew up. They were unstopped. And then they became sinful lusts. And then the sinful lusts in Reuben, they grew up further into unstopped sinful enticements. And the sinful enticements grew up into unstopped sin here. And that brought Reuben to death the death of his position of the firstborn. And all this progression, there's a big progression here, big, all this progression of this unstopped sinful interest to the unstopped sinful lusts and the unstopped sinful enticements, the unstopped sinful sin itself, it's all in those words, Reuben went. Reuben went. It was not just one day that Reuben, you know, he woke up and he said, oh, you know, I've never entertained a sinful thought a sinful sexual thought, but today I think I'll force my stepmother. It didn't happen that way. And that's why God shows us that little boy, Reuben, had a sinful interest in the sexual realm in Genesis 30, verse 14. And Reuben went in those days of wheat harvest and found mandrakes in the field and brought them unto his mother, Leah. Then Rachel said to Leah, give me, I pray thee, of thy sons mandrakes. See, Leah even calls those sexual arousing plants, thy son's mandrakes. So what we see here with the progression with Reuben is exactly what's happening to us all around us today 
in this, down this road of pornography. Two out of three men in the U.S. today view pornography at least once a week. It's a $10 billion market. And this road to pornography is exactly the road that Reuben went down. It starts with an unstopped sinful interest, and then it goes down that progression to the unstopped sinful lust, and then the sinful enticements, and finally the sin. And once Reuben did not stop that sinful interest as a boy, then Reuben became how James describes this process, but every man, James 1.14, every man is tempted when he is drawn away of his own lust and enticed. And with those who don't stop the start of the sinful interest in pornography, with Reuben, the process it just goes into a process of being drawn away, you know, drawn away of his own lust, a very graphic Greek word that James has used here in James 1.14 for drawn away. It's very, very picturesque because it's the word helco, helco. And to see what it means it's very picturesque. You look at another place where this word helco is used, and it's in John 21.10, John 21.10, where it says, uh, you know, it says, Jesus saith unto them, you know, you, you remember the history, you know, children, have you have any meat? Have you, have you got any fish? Uh, no, you know, well, we'll put the net on this side of the boat and so many. And, and then it goes on to say in verse 10 of John 21, Jesus saith unto him, bring of the fish which you have now caught. And Simon Peter went up and drew the net to land, full of great fishes, 150 and three. And for all that there were so many, the net was not broken. And this account caught this enormous, enormous number, 153 fish. Can't imagine that. It's an enormous amount of fish in this net. And he drags them He drew them and he drags these fish to the land. They're alive. The fish are alive. They're being dragged. You picture it. They're flopping all over. They're dying. That's the Greek word here, helco. He's drawn away, dragged of his own less. What a picture of those fish. The fish, there the fish were. They're trapped in the net. There's no way out for the fish. Peter drew the, the space is becoming smaller and smaller for the fish. And then the fish said, hey, we want to swim out of here, but we can't. We're trapped in the net. And that is what happens with pornography. Just like a fish, a person says, hey, I want to stop doing this. I, you know, I, I, I just was curious. I just want to stop now, but I can't. I'm trapped. It starts as a curious interest. Now it becomes a dominating preoccupation. I can't get out of it. I can't get out of my mind. And this is what happened here to Rupin. And then comes the word helco, which describes Peter dragging the net with the fishes onto the land. And the fish in the net are saying, hey, we're being dragged to where we don't want to go. We're going to die on that land. We want to, we want to, we want to go there. We're being, we're being dragged to our death. And that's what happens with pornography. The net closes in, and as the sinful images now become, they come to the mind more and more and more, and they displace other thoughts, and, and it becomes, the, uh, you know, the enticements now becomes a preoccupation, sinful fantasies now. They cry out for more actions. That leads to death. And this is what happened to Reuben. And that's why the history of Reuben here in verse 22 is so very instructive for us. It's a very dark history in verse 22. It's a very sad history in verse 22. It's a very shameful history in verse 22. So verse 22 is very bad. But wait, there's more. (laughs) 
<laughs> verse 22 has more to it than just this bad history of Reuben. Because in verse 22, it goes on to say, now the sons of Jacob were 12. Oh, this is great. Because here at the end of verse 22, we have an introduction to the next four verses, which are a list by their mothers of the 12 sons of Jacob. So here's the first time that we have in the Bible all the 12 sons together of Jacob. They're all listed here, listed. Now, they're going to be listed a lot of times throughout the Bible, throughout the whole Bible. This is the first time. So from the end of verse 22 through to verse 26 are all the sons. And then we read, you know, in the beginning of verse 27, and Jacob came unto Isaac, his father. So what we got here is a little sandwich. The sandwich at the end of verse 26 through to 22, through to 26, is this is the sandwich does. Well, here they all are. Here they are. This is really a, may I present to you? These are God's people. These are the 12 sons who would become the 12 tribes of God's people, the Jewish people. These are the people through whom God will use as his ambassadors to bring the scriptures to a lost world. Here they are. Here's the people through whom God will use as his ambassadors to bring the knowledge of God to the world, to the lost world. Now, here they all are. This is the 12 sons through whom God will use to bring himself, God himself as a man, into a lost world as the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's going to offer salvation to the lost world. That's what makes verse 22 so monumental when it says, now the sons of Jacob were 12. Now, when we look at verse 22, and that way, and what we just described here, then we want to stop and we want to just hold the hand of God and say, now, Lord, now, wait a minute. This is a little bit too painful. You put this first introduction to your people in the same verse as the report of the firstborn raping his stepmother? I mean, couldn't you just let that out? I mean, did that have to go in there? Or maybe put it some other place? Or at least separate it with a different verse, number? It's got to be in the same, maybe a different chapter? I mean, you've got to be in the same verse, I mean, did it have to be there? It's kind of as an introduction to your ambassadors to a lost world. Sort of spoils the whole grand introduction, don't you think, Lord? And Lord, I mean, we read verse 22 about Reuben's horrible rape, and then you introduce your team, God's team, in the same verse. And the next, and, and if it isn't that bad, the next verse starts off with Reuben. You know, this is a Reuben, you hang your head, shame. You know, and they say, oh, man. And then comes the secondborn and the thirdborn, Simeon and Levi, and you hang your head again in shame. Oh, no. They're the ones who treacherously led the whole pack to murder this whole city because of what one man did. And then the Lord, you know, when we say these things to the Lord, the Lord replies and he says, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing when I put the report of Reuben's crime in the same verse as the presentation of my ambassadors to a lost world. Because the important point about my ambassadors is not what they were, but it's what they will become. And that's the point that's brought out in 1 Corinthians 6.9. 1 Corinthians 6.9, where it says, Know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers himself with mankind. I mean, Reuben fits somewhere in there. 
nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but you are washed now. But you are washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. The important point is not what you and I were. It's what God has made us and will make us to become. It's not that the Jewish people are righteous. It's not that they're righteous in themselves. Don't look for that. It's not that the sons of Levi are clean in themselves. Don't look for that. But what's important is what will become, what they will become, the sons of Levi. What's important is the work that the Lord is going to do on the sons of Levi when it says he will sit down and then something's going to happen to the sons of Levi. I'm interested in Levi. It is Israel, Levi. And now I'm talking about Levi, just to confuse you. <laughs> if he would have said Israel, I would have said Israel, but he said Levi. So it's in Malachi 3.3. And how I know this? Because I went to Shigeko when she, she played the Messiah, and I heard her, heard her play, and they sung this, right? And he shall sit as a refiner and purifier of silver, and he shall purify the sons of Levi and purge them as gold and silver that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. See, it says there, the Lord's going to sit and he's going to do a work of refining. He's going to refine. He's going he's to sit. He's going to purify by purging out the dross. And that's what the Lord's going to do with the Jewish people. And that's what he does with us. And so what we see further, when we consider how in verse 20 here, what name? What name is used to describe the man at Rachel's grave? You tell me. That's Jacob, right? Jacob set up a pillar on her grave. That was Rachel's grave. Okay. Now, what's the name of the man who rose up from the grief of Rachel's grave and, and journeys on to the promised land? It's Israel, right? All right. So we see here that God's not playing with you. God's just not, you know, trying to keep it interesting by mixing up the names here. He's got a point here. And so God wants to refer to the fleshly side of this man, he calls him Jacob. When he wants to refer to the spiritual side of this man, he calls him Israel. So with that in mind, how does God refer to the sons in verse 22? Whose are they the sons of? Jacob, the sons of Jacob. They're called the sons of Jacob. They're the sons of Jacob for 12. They're not the sons of Israel yet. They're still just the sons of Jacob. They'll become the sons of Israel. But now they're just the sons of Jacob. So we have their names here in verse 23 through 26. And in verse 27, after we get their names out, it starts with this word, and. Okay? And it connects that. It connects the sandwich of these names there. The last, remember, it started the last part of verse 22, goes to 27, that little sandwich there. And the word, and, verse 28, it connects it. So this structure here, it leads us to see that Jacob is now presenting his sons to the father Isaac. And so what does Isaac see? I don't know what he sees. He's probably blind at this point, but let's say he sees. Okay, he knows. What does Isaac know? He knows, he's, he, he understands his son Jacob is bringing these people. He's bringing his, his sons, you know, bringing his sons from a distant land. Wow, what a picture that is for us. That's a picture for us to see Isaac and Jacob as Jacob is presenting his sons to their grandfather. And this is really a famous scene here. This is like a who are these type of scene. You know, We can see Isaac with all those 12 boys in front of him and saying to Jacob, who are these? Who are these? 
And then we can imagine Jacob responding by saying, oh, you know, these are my sons from a strange land, you know, the banana, and I present them to you. And we can see this classic picture. Who are these? And then they respond, these are my sons from a strange land. And it's happening now between Isaac and Jacob. And as we look at that, we can see this classic scene is going to repeat itself. Uh, only this time, it's going to be when Jacob comes into Egypt and he sees the two sons of Joseph. He's never seen them before. And he's going to say, who are these? And then it's going to be his son Jacob who's going to say, well, you know, these are my sons from a strange land. I'll present them to you. And all that's going to happen in Genesis 48, verse 8. Genesis 48, verse 8, where it says, and Israel beheld Joseph's sons and said, who are these? And Joseph said unto his father, they are my sons whom God hath given to me in this place, you know, Egypt. And Jacob, so Jacob's asking the classic question, who are these? Instead of saying, well, these are my sons from a strange land, he says, these are my sons from this place. You know? And as we think of that, we can replay that scene in heaven when the Lord Jesus Christ brings us to the Father. And what does it say he's gonna do in Matthew 10, 32? Matthew 10, 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before man, him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. So when he confesses us before the Father, we can imagine the Father saying, and who are these? And the Lord Jesus is gonna say, Father, these are my sons from a strange land. I'm glad they could confess them before you. You know, this is Jack over here. Eh? Oh, Father, you're saying, Jack, he was really faithful to me at work. All his co-workers shunned him, made his life miserable because he witnessed to them about me. Oh, this is Judy. Oh, it's Judy over here. She was faithful to me. You know what she did, Father? She stayed in a really difficult marriage to a lost person because she knew we hated divorce. And so all this is going on when we look at Hebrews 2.13, Hebrews 2.13, where it says about the Lord Jesus Christ, and again, I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children which God hath given me. That's the Lord Jesus saying to the Father, behold, I and the children which God hath given me, which is what he said in John 6.39. This is the Father's will, which has sent me, that of all which he hath given me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. Same language here with Joseph. And he says to his father, Jacob, in, the, in, in, in Egypt, and, and, and these are my sons whom God has given to me this place. We can see this classic picture of who are these played out for us before the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come with our spiritual sons and daughters, as Paul described, we got in a strange land. It's strange down here. Anyway, and because Paul said in 1 Corinthians 4.15, 1 Corinthians 4.15, Paul said, though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. See, to those that he brought to the Lord Jesus Christ, Paul called himself their spiritual father. And the world says to believers, just leave other people alone. Just leave them alone. If you want to be a chaplain at most hospitals, you got to go through this instruction and you're told, don't try to convert anyone. Just find out what they believe and then just affirm them in what they believe, which is why I'm not a chaplain.
Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org, or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Starting September 25th, join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher Tom Cantor in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship. <laughs> 